Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 684, with Michael Pitticolis. I want to provide an experience, something that's awesome. And it's not about being big. It's not about being the biggest. It's about being the greatest and providing something that people want to attach themselves to, feel a part of, feel connected to. That's what it's about for us. So it's not about bigness. It's about greatness and trying to carve out our little... Uh, section of this area is in Dallas is a craft brew gym in the industry. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Ladies and gents, you've got to own your presence online because that's where your first impressions are made. Good thing there is Bento Box because Bento Box empowers restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships directly through their websites. To learn more about Bento Box and how it can empower you through your website, head over to getbento.com slash unstoppable. And because you are a restaurant unstoppable listeners, you'll save 50% off your setup fee. Again, that's getbento.com slash unstoppable. Everybody loves payday, am I right? But loving your payroll provider, that's a different story. It's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern, and who knows, you might even fall in love. To learn more, head over to gusto.com slash unstoppable. And when you run your first payroll, you'll get your first three months free. Again, that's gusto.com slash unstoppable. If you like saving time and money, then you've got to check out both Beveger and Foodager.com. Here's how they save you that time and moolah. They empower you to count your entire bar inventory accurately in half the time. They make it so you never lose an invoice. Foodager and Beveger make it possible to place all of your orders at once. You can even order from any device straight from the vendor, which gets you those low, low rates. And lastly, you'll get real-time costing and sales analytics. To learn more, head over to Beveger.com or Foodager.com slash unstoppable. And if you use those links, you can save up to $200 on your POS integration. What are you waiting for? So with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Michael Petacolis. Michael, you're feeling unstoppable today. You better feel unstoppable. I mean, <laughs> life is about obstacles being put in front of you. And if oh, you don't ha- learn how to overcome those obstacles, you're in for a rough road. So yeah, absolutely and, and unstoppable. I'll, Let's I'll do cheers this. to that, man. I'll cheers. We cheers once already, but I'll do it again. Let's clink that, these a, glasses, have a, a drink of beer, get and get started. rolling. Mm. Mm-hmm. That is good. Went down the wrong pipe a little bit, but... It's tasty. Talk to us real quick. What are we drinking? Oh, you're having golden opportunity. That's, I guess, what you would consider our light beer. It's actually a Kolsch, but light, clean, crisp, delicate. You know, it's I right wanted something alley. that people, you know, were familiar with when they thought of light beer um, when they look at it. But, you know, provides that real kind of refreshment, low alcohol, easy drinking, one that you can have several of. That's the one kind of in our lineup that allows you to do that because we're known for a lot of bigger beers. But yeah. I'm actually drinking another very light beer, which is a... doesn't look at it. It first. doesn't. <laughs> it, it's very dark. It's yeah. a dry Irish stout, and this is on nitrogen. So um, it's actually a 4.5% beer, maybe 5 Um So it's actually light in body, um, light in alcohol, and perfect for, you know, talking. <laughs> 
Yeah, and uh, I love the way you started today's conversation talking about how we have to overcome obstacles. And let me, because you did overcome some big obstacles to get to where you are today, and I'm sure that will come out of the story. But let me give the listeners an idea of who we're talking to. So after a decade of practicing law, Michael Petakolis left bailiffs and briefcases behind for barley and brews. At least that's what he thought uh, when he opened Petakolis Brewing Company in twenty sorry twenty ten. Um, it was the first year you guys were open. You you went to. Let's see. It was just your wife. Uh, you guys were the sole brewers. You were the sales reps. You were distributors. You, right. you were uh, still able to win gold at the Great American Beer Festival, which is just incredible after the first year. That's not you got an it. easy achievement, man. That's a big festival. Oh, right? it was right. a huge year. Yeah, there were a lot of <laughs> obstacles before us. Uh, and yeah, it was, uh, man, quite a year one. Like you said, I did everything. I was in here by myself, working alone, brewing the beer, kegging it. You name it, did it all. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was a whirlwind first year, and it seems like that whirlwind just continued year after year <laughs> after year. And then in your third year, you went on, you won gold again in your third year. And then in 2013, Pedicolas uh, was selected to the board of directors of the Texas Graph uh, the Texas Craft Brewers Guild shortly after the board elected uh, Pedicolis as a co-chair of the legislative committee, which has been integral in changing Texas's laws that have been uh, long hindered or have long hindered the, the craft brewing industry. And I'm sure I'll come out in the story, but we'll take it chronologically. Before we get into your story, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? You know, there's a couple that come to my mind, but the one that um, I've, I, I've said all the time over and over since the day we opened was we don't want to be big. We want to be great. We don't want to be big. We want to be great. Why does that resonate with you? Uh, that's what it's about. You know, especially I think in a lot of industries, people get, uh, kind of caught up in keeping up with the Joneses, you know, doing expanding, growing, you know, at the expense of, you know, the future in yeah. certain circumstances. So for me, it's always been about, you know, uh, you know, the other mantra that kind of came to my mind was I've always chosen to move properly instead of quickly. So, you know, sometimes speed is not, you know, my strength, but the overall strategy so far seems to have been the case. And for us, it's about, yeah, I want to provide an experience, something that's awesome. And it's not about being big. It's not about I being the this, biggest. Man. It's about being the greatest and providing yes. something that people want to attach themselves to, feel a part of, feel connected to. That's what it's about for us. So it's not about bigness. It's about greatness. You're trying to carve out our little uh, section of this area is in Dallas is a craft brew gym in the industry. I love what you're dropping on us right now. And uh, it's something that comes up a lot in the show, this idea. I think people think when the, that growth comes by being bigger, right? When we think of growth, when we're going to grow our company, we think outwards. But right. we, true growth comes from inner growth, right? Putting that energy, don't, don't put that energy out. Put that energy into what you're already doing. You do that amazing natural growth, right? There you you're go. Gonna, you're going to attract onto yourself opportunities when you're the best. Yes. Uh, and maybe organic is a little bit overused yeah. these days, but you know that's what it's been about for us from day one yeah you're not you don't follow the, the zingermans by any chance do you uh i remind me i know i've read something by him oh that's the sandwich place <laughs> exactly. right the sandwich place yeah, out of yeah. chicago yes yeah. yeah i have followed that story it's, it's kind of coming back to me it's been a while since i've thought about it, it sounds absolutely like you march the same beat for sure <laughs> yes yeah. yeah so where does it start to make sense to share your story because you have you come from a family of lawyers correct that's right. Yeah, I'm a fifth generation Texas trial attorney. I'm a seventh generation, you know, Texan. Actually, so was that what was expected for me when you were young? Do you think you've, did you have pressure on you to go, to go that road? Is it what you wanted to do? Actually, no. There was really never any pressure. And funny, it is funny. I'm a fifth generation um, 
Texas attorney, but you know, my father, none of his brothers and sisters were attorneys. My grandfather, none of his brothers and sisters, my great grandfather and my great great grandfather, they all had siblings. None of them had any other lawyers in the family. My brother, I have a brother and sister, two brothers, uh, none of them are lawyers. There was really never any pressure to be a lawyer. It was all about independence, and this is kind of how I raise my children, too. It's about doing what you want to do. It was something that was certainly available, and I knew, and, you know, it's funny, I talked about this um, very recently, that it was always kind of my backup plan. I thought, you know, if I don't figure out something else to do, um, I'll go back to law school, and or I'll go to law school and become a lawyer, and that is what happened. I went to law school and became what a lawyer. Ever someone's backup plan? Well, you know, and it, but it's funny, you know, it, 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 it's, it became the backup plan. Yeah. I found my passion, something yeah. else to do after that. So it was, you know, kind of reverse order of what I thought as a kid growing up that, ah, that'll be my backup plan. I'll well, do something else. But so I did that and then I found something else. So the order was a little bit reversed. I'm I think, un- yeah, well, relatively, relativity is everything too. You grew up in a family of lawyers. So like, that's like the standard for you. So like, you could always, you know what I'm saying? Like, yes. You, so it kind of makes sense. Sense. But w- did you always have this passion for beer? Like, when did that passion for beer really start to like poke at you? <laughs> you know, I was drinking beer way too early. I'm from El Paso, <laughs> Texas, originally, and you know, I think my first venture into Juarez, Mexico, was between seventh and eighth grade. Um, so I was drinking beer very early on. I remember a high school buddy of mine, us laughing, saying we wanted to open a bar called Cold Beers because we just wanted beer that was cold. It would drive us nuts when we got a hot beer. And, you know, it's funny. I, there's actually a local uh, <clears throat> restaurant bar around here called Cold Beer Company. So I laughed at that idea actually seemed to have legs for someone yeah. over these years. But I've always been a fan. It, beer's always kind of been a part of life. I'm a big soccer fan. You know, it's part of that. I like to have a good time. Um, I always enjoyed drinking. Uh, so beer has been a part of it. And, you know, as I got older and discovered, you know, import beers and then craft beers, um, yeah, it all kind of took off. I've always said I have two passions in life, beer and soccer. So, yeah, it's something that's uh, been a part of my life for probably way too early of an age. Um, <laughs> but when did you start dabbling in, um, in brewing and, and start you know, sh- sharpening the, the edge on your, your skill? This was after law school um, as a practicing attorney, you know, being in my backyard, brewing up beer. In fact, it was a, a couple of friends of mine had who were also attorneys that said, man, you should homebrew, you should do this. And, I'm, and I told them, man, I don't want to invest in all that equipment. I don't want to have to buy $300 worth of equipment. I laugh now thinking about that. But <laughs> one of them ultimately had uh, put together enough excess equipment that he brought me all his secondhand stuff and said, here, this is enough to brew beer. And we went to the homebrew store that day and bought ingredients and brewed my first beer at home, which turned out to be an utter disaster. I ended up throwing it away on the lawn in the back, but it, it, because it Dude, didn't I'm, really ferment out, it was way too sweet. It was like a quad, a Belgian <laughs> quad, and it was just awful. But I mean, I caught the bug. That's where the brew bug started. So beer was always a part of family events, celebrations like that. But the brew bug, that's when it started that very first. What do you think it was? What was, what was this, you're calling it the bug, but what was actually happening there? Was it just like the desire to to do it better the second time? Or now you had a reference point. Like what was, what, what was the thing that was really drawing you in? I think it's a lot of things. Um, it's a, the creative aspect that you get to create something with your hands. Um, but B, you got a final product that, you know, um, made you happy that brought people together uh you know one of my first actual uh, one of the initial exposures i had to homebrew was my mom my mom brewed beer i came home from college one time and she had brewed some beer 
And we literally went on, this is in El Paso, went on her back deck, opened up some beer. Did and you your t- mom brewed beer? Yes, nice. my mom brewed beer. <laughs> was this um, before you were brewing? This is well before oh, I was brewing. So cool. um, this is really one of my first there. exposures to homebrew. This I is before it. I ever homebrewed. <laughs> and there was something cool about that, that drinking a beer that my mom created, right. um, you know, that was better than what you could buy at the grocery stores. And so especially when I don't want to date you or anything, but what was this like? The this 90s? is the mid nineties. Yeah, yeah like, this is the mid- not a lot of options in the mid nineties. No, there's beer. not. But it was cool to, you know, we're looking over El Paso, Texas, Sunland Park, New Mexico and Juarez, Mexico in the mountains and drinking something that she created so cool. was was cool. And so yeah. I felt a little about a, a little of that after I brewed that first beer. And now I've created something that yeah. people are enjoying. And, you know, the more I got into it, the better the yeah. beers got and the more fun it became and the more I wanted to share them. And, you know, I, I, that, have, this, I have this working theory and uh, I think my listeners probably know exactly where I'm going with this. If they listen enough that it's so important. Um, I think people when like what is passion right i think passion comes from getting recognized it's not necessarily the thing that we fall in love with as much as it is as being recognized for being good at the thing because we all need we all need to be seen we all need to be recognized we all need to be valued right we i don't can, know i don't know i don't think i agree with think, that okay, no well, i don't think you have to have some success like some success to for that to be a passion because when 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 you started talking i'm like yeah okay i think there was some of that with beer for sure but as i thought about it soccer i mean it's as big a passion as anything, but you know, professionally, uh, you know, I'm a little, I'm a rec player, right? You know, um, it was never something that I was awesome at or got recognition on, but it was something that I innately enjoyed doing. And to me, that's, really defines what a passion is. If, If you, if you're getting all the accolades, it makes it really easy to do it. But if you're doing it just for the love of it, to me, that's, that's, that speaks, even louder and it's, than it's getting definitely a subject the I would, recognition. I would love to explore that that subject more because I'm sure there's so many variables that go into. Well, it. Let's spend I, like two hours talking about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure I, I hear what listeners you're saying. I love that. Let's get really theoretical because, and no, get we, their eyes to glaze over completely. You're making a really good point, though. Is that you know it's you you need to have that. Um, that that's something about you that that lets you continue to show up because you're not going to become a master. After a couple tries, and you've you got to have that yourself, internal drive. Yeah, it was a disaster early on. Your first, yes, every master was once a disaster, but you have to have that internal drive to to fail over and over and over again uh, until you start getting that recognition for being good for it. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's like what you open the show with. Are you unstoppable? That didn't stop you, right? <laughs> it's like, oh god, this was terrible, but now I understand what I'm doing and I can do it again and improve upon it. And you know, that's that's life. You know, it's not just business, but. It's going through life. You know, life is hard. Work is hard. But, you know, so, obstacles are continually thrown in front of you. And what I've always told my crew, man, it's not about what happens. It's not about what obstacle presents itself. It's about how you respond yeah. to it. It's all yeah. about the response because things are going to happen. It's about how do you respond to that. And, you know, that's when you find yourself being most unstoppable when you just refuse to allow the obstacles to derail you. Yeah, and it's really important. I love that you said it. It's how you respond because how we respond is a very human thing. It's everything. Only humans have the ability to, to choose how they respond. Other animals don't respond. They react. You know, they yeah, have yeah. one... Like you know, code like like this happens, then this like run or fight, right? We have two, that two too. Options. We have we that do, too. But we get to choose our path, yeah. right? Like how am I gonna like like when that emotion flares up? When you can choose to lose your shit or do whatever, you can say, well, "How do I want to choose to it. react to this?" And that's so important. I just wanted to highlight that. Um, so when at what point did you start getting good enough at brewing that you're like maybe I I could sell this? Like when did that come into your your mind? 
Uh, I guess a few things kind of happened at once. Um, after having practiced law for a decade, I came across a list I'd put together when I went to law school about, hey, what are my goals in the legal industry? What do I want to accomplish? And in 2010, I came back upon this list and started to realize, man, I had accomplished everything that I set out to do in the legal industry. I mean, check, check, check. So that's kind of when I looked at myself in the mirror and was like, well, what next? I mean, can I just do I want to continue to do this into perpetuity or is what there something else out there? In the legal what were, what were I mean, there goals? were a bunch of things. I wanted to have my own law firm. I wanted to work on a case that had some local um, attention. I wanted to work on a case that had some statewide attention. I wanted to work on something that had national attention. I wanted to work on something that was uh, an international um, case. I wanted to uh, you know, have my name on the door. I wanted to, I had financial goals. So, you know, those are the first ones that come to my mind. Um, and I had kind of accomplished all that. And that's when it was like, okay, well, what am I going to do? And as I started to think about that, you know, I started to turn to my passions. I have two passions, beer and soccer. And I was looking in the soccer industry, unless someone wanted a, you know, <laughs> wrong side of 30 that's, reconstructed right ACL, <laughs> you know, that I wasn't the guy. And yeah. um, so, Brewing was happening at that time, and I'd received. What's the, what time b- is it now? This is uh, you know, I mean, I'm brewing all through 2005, but I'm talking 2010. This is really kind of when I received a business plan to invest in another brewery, and my wife and I were consider were, were seriously considering investing in this brewery. Um, how much should we invest? You know, things like that. What do we like about the plan? What do we not like about the plan? And going through that process kind of made me realize. Well, you know, one night she said, you know, why don't why don't we do this ourselves here? Um, and that's kind of when the proverbial light bulb went off over our heads or my head um, because we were thinking about investing in a brewery that's going to be like the 10th brewery in the market. And at the time, this Dallas was the largest in the United States that didn't have a craft brewery. Um, so she was from, her background was pharmaceuticals. Mind, the yeah, largest it, city in the United you know, States, 2010, did not have a craft brewery. That's right. There were two. There were only two in the area. There was one in Fort Worth and there was one in McKinney. But at that time, that was it. And so I thought, well, either no one sees the opportunity or there's no market for it. And I think you really have to consider whether there is a market for it or not. But um, that's when I decided, yeah, I think there is a market for it. We should do this. And I enrolled with the American Craft Brewers, with the American Brewers Guild, and took their intensive brewing science and engineering course. And that's when I learned to scale up what I was doing from five-gallon batches in the backyard to, you know, commercial production, at least theory-wise. So you know? where was your personal beer, like the beer that you were brewing in five-gallon batches, like on a scale from one to ten, where, where did you get your skill up to at this point? I don't know, on a scale of one to 10, you know. From where it is um, now. From where it is, you know, that's an interesting question because during that time, whenever I brewed this Imperial Red Ale, people were going nuts. Man, this beer is awesome. I mean, a lot of your beers are good, but this one, I this is better than any beer that I've ever had. And so that ended up being the very first beer that I brewed where, you know. I might just, have to get a pint of that after the commercial. Yeah, we, we should. <laughs> um, but brewed that beer first, December 30th of 2011. Um, and that beer, when it launched, um, you know, kind of took on a life of its own so you know it's hard home brewing you can produce a product that is equally as good as any commercial brewer if not better so it's hard to say well am i a better brewer now you know to be quite frank i'm probably not the brewer i am right this minute as i was when i was totally dialed in when i started this because i'd been home brewing and then like i said i was working in here by myself brewing all the beer doing all that but you know it's been a couple years since i've actually brewed any beer in our brew house you know i've 
done some ceremonial stuff at other brew houses and stuff like that, but my skills aren't quite what they were. Now it's, you know, the next guy who, you know, kind of stepped up. So, you know, it's hard to answer that question. Well, I guess that what I was getting at is when do you know you're ready to open a business off of a skill where you're, I mean, like when you open a business, like you, like, I never knew. I mean, I, I was planning it. I was writing the plan and I remember the day it became very real was the day I wrote the check for all the equipment to open a brewery because opening up a brewery is very capital intensive. It's all about that upstart. So that was the day it became real. That day in 2010 when I wrote that check for the production of the tanks that are sitting in our brewery right now to start being constructed. And at that point, it was, yeah, this is all systems go. I mean, at that before you made, before I made that financial commitment, it was like, you know, we can still stop you know we can you know avoid this and not do any of this but once that happened it was boom all systems go and you know we had i had done enough research and homework to believe in what i was doing in terms of brewing um, beer itself and operating a business and everything that goes along with that okay i think this is a good spot to stop take our first break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back It's the entrepreneurial myth, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's the idea that when you open your own restaurant, life is going to get easy because you get to do exactly what it is that you love, whether that's front of house or back of house. And then reality kicks in, right? You've got to do all this other stuff that comes with owning a business like taxes, HR, payroll, really boring stuff. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small business. And if you want to add on 401k or health benefits, it's a breeze. Those old school clunky payroll providers just were not built for the modern small business. Not to mention, you've got to compete with the big guys. But how do you compete with the big guys when you don't have big guy bucks? Well, with Gusto. That's how. Get back to doing what it is you love and let Gusto handle the rest. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll get your first three months free when you run your first payroll. That's Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. Again, Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. All right, we're back and um, kind of set us up. Like what you said, you did a lot of research. You were you were learning a ton to to set yourself up for success as a business owner. What kind of things were you? Where were you looking to research about business to learn about business? You know, it's funny. Um, I had operated my law firm, um, opened that up. I think with five thousand dollars a space and a laptop. That nice. was it. Isn't it crazy that to open? I mean. That's it. Plus the investment you made in your career and all these. Yes. Well, sure. Yeah. Sure. But it's amazing that to, to be a lawyer, you can do it with five thousand dollars and be like ready to go. But it, to open a restaurant, you need yes. like a million dollars. No <laughs> business plan, nothing whatsoever. Right? You know. Now, when I talk to people about you know opening a business, the very first thing I say is business plan. You know. So yeah. I mean, I. You know, I didn't know how to write a business plan. I went to law school. Um, yeah. They teach you legal theory. I went to undergraduate, but that none of that was really business specific. Yeah. Um, so I kind of learned on the go. I had to research how to write a proper business plan. So and I know ahead. it was 10 years ago almost, yeah. uh, but reflecting back at that time, are there any lessons that stuck with you to this day that a good business plan needs? Something that you... Absolutely. Like, what, I mean, what? a ton of them. Um, just going through the process really forced you to consider whether or not this business was viable or not. Yeah. And it really forces you to address the most difficult questions. Because when you're opening a business, everyone wants to tell you, oh, that's going to work. That's going to be good. You're going to do this. And even yourself, you'll get caught up in everything that's going to work. And you'll kind of try to sweep the dirty stuff or the stuff you don't have the answer to under the rug. But if you have a business plan, something that is before you, something that's tangible that you're writing upon, that you're ta- typing into 
every day. It forces you to address even those most difficult questions, which I think is imperative because if you don't answer those questions, you don't know whether or not you've got a viable business or not. So that was huge. But the other thing I learned was, you know, it's not always apparent what industry you're in. And when I was writing the business plan, this is what became very apparent to me that I do not believe I'm in the beer industry. I've never said I'm in the beer industry. I consider us to be in the entertainment industry. Okay. Everything we do is all the decisions we make are based upon entertainment and providing an experience. I've never believed that people, you know, necessarily, you know, drink just because it's a beer. I think they're drinking because they want to have a good time. They want to have fun. And so for me, it was about let's provide entertainment and give them an awesome experience. And so all of our decisions from that point, even in the business plan, were kind of written in that manner. And then it also really forced me to dial in on what our core values are. And I think that was hugely important to not only the business plan, but to figure out what our mission is figure out how we're going to put together a vision and how we're going to execute upon trying to reach that vision. But yeah, that was huge um, because it dictated everything that we did (laughs) from that day forward. You could go back to what our corporate values are, which are honest, friendly, down to earth. We've got three honest, friendly, down to earth. It was easy for me. I took our family values and really made them our corporate values because that is who I am. That's who I strive to be. And I thought it would be very authentic and genuine if the company I was operating had the exact same values as me and my family, the values that I asked upon myself and my kids. Okay. I got to reflect on some of the things you dropped on us. And that Sorry. was a great tear. No, you're awesome, man. Uh, the importance of the business plan, just getting it down, right? It, yeah. when, when something that happens inside of us, when we get it down, it's so much more real when we write it down. Cause then we have a reference point too. And we right. can, when we're dreaming, we're all over the fucking place, right? We're like, Oh, this would be, that'd be good. But when you get it down now, now you committed to something. Yeah. There's, right? there's, there's, re- there's research. that says if you actually just write something exactly. down, you're this much more likely to actually doing it. And the business plan will do that for you. Right? So, so important. The other thing I want to dissect a little bit more is you said that and you're absolutely right. Where at the end of the day, we're really selling experiences, right? I mean, there's a product, uh, like the tangible product, the food, the drink, whatever it is. And the, the consumption of that is an experience, but there's so much more beyond that that we can tap into that right. most people just stop at the food, right? Right. So when you came from this perspective of we're, start, we're selling an experience, how did, that change your, how did that change the way you went about doing things? Give me some examples of things that you wouldn't have done if you didn't have that mentality of experience first. Okay. Um, I mean, I'll give you an example. Very early on, maybe within the first month, if not the first weeks, right? Uh, delivering beer. I'm driving down the street and I see a tweet from a guy uh, that basically said, hey, drinking a Petacolis Great Scott from uh, the bottle shop. This is a place on Lower Greenville here in Dallas, and I'm literally driving by. So what, what did I do? I pulled my car over and went and looked at his profile pic and went and saw him in the bar. And I went over to him and said, hey, you just tweeted about enjoying our beer. I wanted to say thank you for enjoying our beer. I'm a brand new brewer. Thank you for doing this. And that experience led, I mean, it, all, you know, it's weird. To, I'm not saying this like to pat myself on the back, but it set him on a different course. This guy eventually became huge into beer, went to brew school, became a brewer himself. But for me, I thought to myself, man, Bush, they're not, you know, uh, the, the Budweiser family. None of those guys are stopping by at a local watering hole to say, hey, thank you for drinking our beer. And that was the 
part that I thought was hugely important, the connection. I wanted to connect yes. people to the product. So that guy, I mean, I don't buy products because I see ads or hear advertisements. I buy products because my friends tell me um, what they like. And, and so for me, that was it. I wanted to build something that was organic. And that was the best way to do it. That, hey, man, I can represent my beer better than anybody else. I'm the one who brews it. I'm the one who's making it. I'm the one who's delivering it. I can answer every question that you've got right now. And that was just a minor example of the things that I would do at the very beginning. I didn't pay for marketing for many, many, many years. It was all organic, all free. And it was this, trying to build a connection with our consumers with the people who are drinking our beer and you know i I still sit here today and will say i I bet no one from the bud family is you know just pulled over their car when they saw someone tweet about drinking their beer in the past you know couple years but that was something that i was doing to really provide that experience that was exceptional so i just want to make sure i understand so you got a tweet or you saw the tweet, right? Yeah. You, you were included in the tweet. They tagged right. you in the tweet. You got and it. then you saw where this person was. You went to that person and thanked them in person. So the experience was the human connection, the, the act that you actually went. Was it a drive? Was it a walk? How close were you to this person? I was driving by. I was driving so by. And that's when I'm like, well, I'm going to turn. I'm There's a there's a parking space but, right you there. Know, and then so many people, like we, a lot of people will argue that the world is just overload right now. There's so much out there that is sensory overload. How can you make? How can you make a difference? How can you stand out? It's actually easier than ever because so many people aren't willing to actually stop and like go in and stand in front of somebody. So it's so much easier now than it has ever been to make an experience for somebody because if you just remember that all you got to do is look them straight in the face and like approach them, right? And like just that human part of it, that human aspect is today, in my opinion, experience enough. Yeah. And going back to the business plan and where this really, you know, falls in line with that was my goal was to make our consumers our marketing stars. We weren't going to pay for marketing. So we, our consumers, we made them our marketing stars. And by doing that, we was trying to get this connection made with these guys, right? And then that person was then selling beer, our beer to somebody else. They're telling, even the name of the brewery, Petacolis Brewing Company, like a lot of people have difficulty pronouncing Petacolis until they've heard the name. Right. We're getting started. And, yeah. and it was, you know, when, before I opened the brewery, you know, that was like the one defect of the name in my mind, but I could remember another brewery called Lagunitas and right on its label, it had a kind of phonetic pronunciation. It said, say Lagunitas. And I thought, well, if they can overcome that, then I can too. And you know, also, it's almost as if we've branded this name all on its own. At one time, I thought about naming it Zenith Brewing Company, and I'm, all I could think about was these old 70s block TVs, and I'm like, no, that's not good. So Petacolis, we were able to brand on its own. People didn't have any idea of what that was. Um, you know, it's almost like a drug company. They're great at, you know, inventing names that no one knows what they mean. Zocor, Viagra, everyone knows what those drugs do after a little um, bit of time. But that was big for me, you know, even a name like that just... Once someone understood how to say it, I remember at a bar one time, I heard someone go correct someone at another table saying, no, it's called Petacolis because they were struggling with the name of it. And to me, it really started to uh, crystallize in my mind how things I wanted them to work because I now had someone who felt like, hey, man, I've got this hot tip. I know this new company. I know how to pronounce their name and they're sharing it with someone else. And those people are enjoying it. And I'm like, this is it. This is everything. Even just the name, something as simple as a name and being able to talk about that name can be, you know, really big for your brand and who you are and what you do. I love it. That's great. Great advice. It's a little bit deeper. Something you you said um, that you got to make your your consumer your marketer, basically. So really get into what you like a strategy that you implement to get people to start sharing 
you or marketing you, promoting you? What are you doing? Well, for me, it has to be genuine and authentic, just like what I've mentioned, right? You know, just literally pulling off the roadway and going in there. That person, you're providing an experience that you, you know, the goal isn't always, hey, man, now I want this person to go and sell our product. The goal is to make the connection. The goal is to make a connection that is so strong for them that they want to bind themselves to to your product in such a way as they want to tell other people about it too. So it's not always this contrived, oh, I want to do this to make this person go do this. It's about just trying to provide a level of experience, a level of uniqueness that they enjoy and want to be a part of, and then they innately want to share. That's so what it's beyond, about. There needs to be a sense of genuineness about it. It really can't, you can't manufacture that. So beyond making a great product and beyond just, you know, making relationships what are you doing to make people such brand evangelists well this was also at the start of you know the real take off of social media you know facebook was newer Mm -hmm. twitter was really just starting instagram i'm not sure had even really come on the scene yet so we had all this um free uh means of connecting with our consumers and that's where we spent a lot of our time you know if someone almost to this day if you you know, I still run our Twitter account. It, there was a time where I did Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that. Now I, I still handle Twitter. If you mention us, I respond. You know, um, if you email me, you, you get a response. You know, and you know that's a part of it. I, I hate the that corporate structure that you know you just feel like you're trying to contact them and you're in this void. Right. I hate that. And I want to do just the opposite. You contact us, we're going to respond. So anyone that would reach out to us tenfold, we're going to wrap you up and try to make you a part of our family. If you come in here one time, two time, we're learning your name. You know, the way we hire our people or our people we've typically found just through selling beer who had interest in what we are and who we do. So, you know, we've got this huge family atmosphere and vibe. And, you know, that kind of has been probably integral to our providing this deeper level of connection that makes people want to then you know represent our brand as being something special to others so you're not just broadcasting you're developing a dialogue with these people and you're responding you're having the conversation you're engaging basically you have to engage yeah Yeah, it's not a one-way just kind of one thing it's no it's it's part of it and you know and we we got to get into these core values that's the other thing you 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 narrowed it down three core values again those core values are honest uh, sorry, honest, friendly, and down to earth. Yeah. Why these three? Why were these the three that you chose to stick with? Um, you know, as I mentioned, this was when I started to think, hey, what should the corporate values be for this company? Um, where I started was, well, what are my personal? Real quick, did you have these values written down before you opened or was it, did it come after? Oh, these were written down before. See, and, and most people don't do this before they open. Yeah, when, when, when you mentioned, you know, what else did the business plan provide you? It, it made me narrow down down on these values, right? Because it's so important. It it really, it guides your response to all the questions you get in business. If you can go back, if if your values are good and if they're genuine, uh, you know, I think a lot of people will just throw values out there that really aren't genuine, but that's what was important for me and kind of was part of the secret sauce and the recipe to everything that we did, which is about being genuine, making these connections, really enjoying these people. But I thought about what, what are my, I never had thought about what my personal values are. And when I really started to think about it is is honesty. Um, And that sounds like to me, the one people who say, Oh, well, everyone says honesty, but it means something different to me as a, as a licensed attorney. I always took ethics extremely seriously. Um, I've always said, man, just be honest, tell the truth. It makes it so much easier. Address the bad news as quickly as the good news. Um, And what I loathe 
was dealing with companies that I knew were lying to me. You know, you would call someone, whether it's a DirecTV or whoever, I'm not saying DirecTV specifically, but you're, you're on a 15-minute phone tree, you finally talk to someone, and then you get some BS answer that you know is BS, you know it's not true. And I just could not stand that. And I think that's too much a part of our society now that people can just lie to you and tell you things. So it's innate in me. I like to be honest with people. I want to tell you the truth. And so I want it. And that's something I tell my kids. You need, you know, I don't care if you did something. Be honest about it. We can deal with that. But if you lie about it, it makes everything so much worse. So it all started with honesty. So um, what you said honesty means something different to me. What does honesty mean to you? It means to the core. Every question, everything you do, how you present yourself. Um, I feel like transparency. What it what it is is what it is. Trans so, transparency for sure. There's nothing you're not blocking anything. There's that's nothing right. That you, you, if it's there, you can see it. This is what it is. That's, Why is that so important? Why is that so powerful? Where because is, I think if you don't do that, there becomes a disconnect. Like you know, I, I, there's a local brewery who has a name that is not necessary that indicates their brewery is located in a place that they are not, which is totally fine. I think you can do that. But for me, I think there becomes a disconnect in the mind of the consumer at the outset if your name depicts something that isn't actually accurate. You know, so I, in yeah. my mind, I'm thinking, all right, well, if there's a dichotomy there, or, you know, something kind of different there, where else does it go? Yeah. So for me, it's like every step of the way, you know, you need to, you need to be authentic because, you know, uh, it's a thing that bugs me. I, I've often said, when you meet somebody, you meet their representative. You don't meet them. You meet the best version of them. It isn't until you've had multiple interactions that you get to know that person. Yeah. But so for me, it's about being authentic because if you're inauthentic, it's something that I can't stand. Yeah. It's something that I won't stick with. I'm not going to stick to a product that I don't think is authentic. I'm not going to stick with friends that I don't think are authentic. So for me, I wanted to do uh, you know, something that I like, something that I stood for and something that I think is not out there enough, which is, you know, honesty and not just the personal relationships, but the business relationships. Yeah. So one thing that really is cool about um, what happens when we are honest and we do have to show some people, maybe not the best sides of us because it's the truth. Right. And we feel like maybe that might make them think worse of us or when we show people our vulnerabilities. Right. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is it's the complete opposite. Think about a dog. When a dog wants you to, to know that it's not a threat, that when a dog wants you to like it, it will roll over on its back and it reveal its, 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 its belly. That's me. That dog is getting vulnerable right, for you. Right. right? And when, what, do you, what happens when a dog does that? What's the first thing you do? You fucking love the shit out yeah, of a dog. Yeah, of course. Right? Like, of okay, course. give me some of that, right? Yes. So that's the same thing that happens when you show your vulnerabilities and you show people that I'm not a threat and like I'm a human, like, here my, like here's the truth, they, they will love you that much more. And I think it's a really powerful thing because I think instinctually we try to hide those things. But Absolutely. It's so powerful. It's easier to hide them, mm-hmm. um, but you feel so much better when you don't. Yeah. It, um, it's more difficult to do it but the return is so much more great so friendly pretty so straightforward excuse me I'm friendly sorry. right friendly so pretty like you're just being a friend you're being there what, what do you what do you mean by that how does that resonate with you you know um that's just kind of been me throughout my life i always i'm the first I, i'll trust you you know i mean my wife to this day will meet someone and she'll say like oh, i don't know i don't know how i feel about that guy i'm like oh that guy's great you know yeah. and Two years later, I'm like, yeah, you were right about the guy. I remember you saying something on day one. So, you know, for me, I am very friendly. I'm outgoing. I want to have a good time. For me, I remember being a kid, my parents saying, oh, what do you want to do? I'm like, well, I want to have fun. And they're like, well, I mean, that's not what you're going to do. And I'm still thinking, well, I mean, that is. That's what I want to do. I want to have fun. And friendly, I always, you know, had the ability to make friends um, and to get along in groups. I was never the popular guy, you know, but I hung out with the popular guys. I wasn't necessarily the nerd, but I hung out with the nerds. You know, I wasn't the band guy, but I hung out with those guys. I was really friendly with everybody. And to me, it doesn't matter, you know, 
who it is that you're going to interact with and what your preconceived notion of what that person is. If you're just friendly and start off at, you know, from a blank slate, you're going to make some great friends. And this industry is really, you know, uh, there's all kinds, you know. So when I hear friendly, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is hospitality. Because when you look at what the definition of hospitality is, it's warmth, generosity, neighborliness. You know, it's being a friend. It's caring for somebody. And that's what I get. And the last one, um, what do you mean by down to earth? I feel like down to earth is kind of like a sum a summation of like honesty and friendly how does how is down to earth different um i think you know down to earth is a character to me um that kind of is modest maybe rebut yeah maybe a little modest maybe a little humble it kind of rebuts yeah definitely open-minded it kind of rebuts your preconceived notion of a dallasite right like everyone thinks dallas are these real pretentious you know if you're just going to stereotype dallas as a whole um but that's not me i I guess when i say down to earth it's 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 you know uh not a function you know i always enjoyed the you know the guy i met and had a great conversation with that i learned two weeks later was you know a millionaire and i had no idea as opposed to the guy i met that makes twenty thousand dollars a year and proceeded to tell me for the next two hours every material you know, investment that he's ever made. I can't stand that stuff. Yeah. I want, it's about being real. Yeah. Um, regardless of what your background is or what you may have, it's about having this character that is, you know, not to use the term, but down to earth, something that you're grounded. You don't yeah. have this, you know, better than thou, or I don't no, know. No, I'm picking up a what you're better than down. you kind of it's, personality. This is, you know, I'm, I'm one of us. I'm yeah, just like everybody I'm not, else. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, not any better you. than you. I'm not above you. Yeah. I'm, I'm exactly. I love it. I love it. And I, if my listeners, and, if, and maybe you're thinking this, why is this guy having me go through all my core values? And the, the reason why I'm oh, doing it's this, huge for I, me. I love it, man. The reason why I'm doing this again, the mission statement of restaurant unstoppable is to inspire, empower and transform the industry. This stuff, right here, the values, that's how we're going to transform the industry because behind every great restaurant is a great person, right? And the great people have great values. So what I'm trying to do is give the rest of the industry an aiming point of what values it takes to make it in this industry. And that's what's happening right now. So thank you for getting into that. One last question about values before we move on. How did you narrow it down to just three? I think that's like hard. That must be really hard to do. And what's the value in narrowing it down to three? It goes back to uh, my legal training. Um, There is a lot of research to show that people remember things in threes. Um, anytime I had a trial, I would break my case down to three points and repeat those three points. Primacy, reasoncy. People will remember the first thing they hear and the last thing they hear. But people will remember things in threes. It's interesting. Fours, people will forget. But if you have threes, people will remember them. So for me, that was important. It's like, you know, and I and some of my friends have got seven values. I'm like, oh, that that's cool. And a lot of times they stumble up. I'm like, well, is that a true value if you're stumbling up on it? <laughs> yeah. um, but So for me, it all deals with the science of remembering threes that I learned as a litigator. So I wanted three because it's not something that I want to remember. I want every member of our crew to be um, able to say honest, friendly, down to earth. The second any time, any and why is that so important that everybody it guides, on your team can be able to recite this? Because it guides how you deal with the customer, yeah. how you deal with the consumer. If someone comes in and you asks you to do something or um, makes a request that you've never dealt with before, if you can just go back to those core values, it's going to provide you a way to handle the situation. So start with honesty. Tell the guy, ah, I don't know, I've never done this before, but you know what? Let's try to get this figured out and yeah. go about this in a friendly way and, let, and, and let's move forward. So in, in, in the business relationships and the, with 
other vendors, with other brewers. Um, I think it serves as a guidepost that whenever you're out there and you have a question, you can really go back and say, well, does this really fit within our core values? Because if it doesn't, then either your core values are wrong or you're going down the wrong road. Yeah, you, Brother, you've dropped so much value on us, and we haven't even gotten to the point where you're open as far as the storyline. <laughs> We're still at the business plan portion of the things, which is great. I mean, there's tons of value in this, and um, I'm loving every second of it. So... One thing that you have mentioned to this point is that you were totally self-funded, right? And I, I realize that uh, a lot of people don't have that that luxury of, of self-funding. Uh, but why did you choose to self-fund? Why did you choose to go that that, that way? Um, a, a couple of reasons. Um, first, and you might have to remind me of the original question. Sometimes I'll start to answer a question. You know, I am an attorney. What a normal person says in five minutes, an attorney says in ten minutes. But I'll make a note. <laughs> um, in fact, I've forgotten the question. I, what, Why did you choose the self fund versus? Oh going yeah, to yeah, yeah. So I think first and foremost, uh, the crash in two thousand eight. You know, I had been practicing law for some time, and when I saw my retirement accounts um, just dwindling, and I started to think about the fact that man, I'm invested in these companies that I don't know anything about. These guys are cooking their books. They're acting fraudulently. What the hell do I really even know about them? And so there was this moment when my wife and I started thinking about well. do do we want to invest in those guys or do we want to invest in ourselves? And so, you know, and it, it seems like such a house of cards that if it could all fall apart and you lose everything, you know, I started to think, man, if someone's going to lose everything, I want it to be me. I want to be the guy who loses everything as opposed to the guy who says someone else lost all your money. So it wasn't like we just, you know, went, took every penny we had. Um, and that wasn't the case, but we definitely talked about, all right, what amount are we comfortable in taking away from our retirement and using to launch a brewery? Um, so I guess first and foremost, we had the ability to, um, it wasn't the initial idea. Initially, I was going to open this up with a couple of other people, but as we were going through the process, it, you know, they kind of realized that they didn't have the time or the equity sweat equity that, you know, I did. And so I ended up doing it on my own. I also thought about, you know, getting some investors, which is very much what happens in this industry. Um, and I know you can write your documents wherein your investors really don't have anything to say with concern to how you operate your business, but that doesn't mean they're not going to tell you. Mm. They're still going to try to tell you, Hey, you should do this or you should do that. And I didn't want to hear that. And so ultimately I thought, you know what, let's just gamble. Let's bet on ourselves. We're not going to have to listen to anybody else. We're not going to have to be um, incumbent upon making loan payments to a bank, making us make decisions that we wouldn't necessarily make ourselves because we have this external pressure of trying to pay back banks or yep. pay back investors. So my whole life has been about, you know, kind of this freedom to be unconventional and zigging when other people zag. Um, and this was another, ep, you know, kind of example of that where we said, well, let's go ahead and do this on our own because it will allow us the freedom to do it absolutely 100% in the way we want yes. without anyone else thinking yeah. that they have some say so in how we do it. Yeah, no, I can't but I can't help but think about Danny Myers, right? And he talks about inviting hospitality and the order in which you display hospitality with starting with uh, your inner guest, your employee, then going to the guest, then going to the community, then it ends with the investors um, and that order, that priority. But what happens when you take that investor out of the element? How much more bandwidth do you have to take care of everybody else? That really matters at the end of the day. And you were very fortunate. You you were in a career before this that set you up to be able to make these types of decisions. Right. But you can still 
start on your own where you can if you're listening to this. If you don't have money put away, if you you know if, you, if you're if you're younger and you haven't really developed a, a, a bankroll yet, you know, um, you can still start where you can, right? And that might be a trailer. That might be something really small. And that might be another thing people don't think of often enough, in my opinion. Like when I say assets, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? I think about the big, huge tanks that are sitting in my brewery right now. <laughs> right? But I think a lot of people think money, right? Yeah, assets, for sure. Value, like dollar signs, yeah. right? But assets, time, relationships. And you can today start building those assets, right? Time. Like you can give your time to somebody. You can develop relationships. And those things will help you get to where you have to go. And that can start now. So think about, you know what I'm saying? Oh, like, absolutely. Start where you can. Don't let not having the money inhibit you from like getting a starting point and having a plan well i would say a couple things first of all you know if you don't have the money there seem to be plenty of places to go get money if you actually have a really good idea Um, but if you can't get the money i mean just look around read the papers there are businesses being started every single day with you know $200, $300, $400 that, you know, it's not overnight. I started this podcast with a $50 microphone. (laughs) You know what I mean? You know, like I said, I started the law firm with $5,000. That was it. Yeah. Um, So it it happens. It absolutely happens. I'm proof that it happens. Um, You can start it small. And that, that kind of approach has always stuck with us because although I was, like I mentioned, we were comfortable taking out of retirement and investing in this. It's not about going back and dipping into that. It's like now at this point, you know, it's belts and suspenders. It's, you know, uh, uh, it's bootstrapping this thing, using our profits and reinvesting that. You know, it's not just constantly going after those extra sources of income. It's generating enough income to, you know, let you to continue to grow. And it can start on day one or it can start in year three. Yeah, I love it. So you you're open now. You, you, you invest in these assets. You're going to start brewing beer. Take us through that first year. What was it like? What did you not see coming? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I, I looking back now, what I did not see coming, I felt coming, I knew was coming, but was the tsunami of competition. Um, like I mentioned, you know, when I was writing the business plan, there was not another brewery. But people were in North thinking Texas. about it. People were thinking about it. about to invest in one. That, that's right. Exactly. And, you know, fast forward to today, there's about 200 or excuse me, there's like uh, 87 breweries just in North Texas. So there was two when I started. Fast forward, you know, eight years later. And now there's, you know, 70, 80 breweries opening. So I don't think I realized that. Um, I told people that there was going to be more and I definitely said, yeah, this is going to continue, but I didn't realize at what rate at the exponential growth rate there would be in the number of breweries that are opening, including breweries being opened by people that don't have any business opening breweries. They just see money being thrown at the industry and is a good way to make money and not have a passion or real feel, um, for the beer industry or maybe, um, operating a business at all that, you know, are not going to make it. And some have since already not made it you know several have opened and closed so the lesson there the don't level, chase money chase the passion chase the thing the for thing me, that you i do. remember early on a guy coming to me during a tour and that was when you know when you talk about connecting with these people we were only open for on the first and third saturday so we were open two times every month for the first five years two times every month that was it but i was here we were here connecting with people they would come through the door they'd have beer we would tell them the story right I remember one guy telling me, I went to this brewery. I said, wait, why did y'all open? They're like, well, everyone was opening up a brewery and we thought it was a good way to make money. 
And I'm like, oh my God, that was their story? <laughs> At least they were being so, transparent. Yeah, yeah honestly, it, it, well, I mean. <laughs> that, brewery, that brewery's not in operation any longer, you know? Um, and that day, I remember kind of thinking, well, it's probably not going to make it. Um, so the level of competition, I would say, was the biggest thing I didn't know. Secondly, um, I probably, you know, I hoped for the amount of success and accolades and awards and things like that. You know, you kind of write that stuff in your plan and you hope it happens. But I've been um, extremely happy with, especially that first year, you know, I kind of referenced earlier releasing our first beer, Velvet Hammer, and it took on a life of its own. A lady made soap out of it. A guy wrote a love song about it. You can Google up Velvet Hammer love song. You can still listen to it on our one year anniversary. Get a flight before I leave this yeah, place, do it. For sure. uh, a, a girl on our one year anniversary. A girl married Velvet Hammer. Um, that was quite literal. Uh, and you know, I, I just didn't really won the biggest award you can win the industry yeah, that very after first year. One year, and yeah. you're competing against every brewery in the world. You take home gold. Yes, I mean, what if you're an actor, like? you want to win an Oscar. If you're a brewer, you want to win gold at the Great American Beer Festival. What it's like was when I heard Royal Scandal announced this gold medal. My first thought was, oh my god, there's another brewery with a Royal Scandal <laughs> beer. But no, that was Pedicola's Brewing Company and went down. So I mean, it was huge. So you um, must have really sharpened your sword before opening to I feel like you're 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 putting out good beer as a as a hobbyist I'm assuming yeah absolutely um and then you know once I, I you finish brew school brew school I've always told people it's very much like law school in law school they teach you legal theory they don't teach you how to be an attorney yeah brew school is the same way they teach you how to brew but they don't teach you how to operate a brewery so fortunately yeah, exactly. I had a friend who let me go uh Greg Matthews who I still to this day call my brewing sensei. He let me go work at his brewery with him and get the practical application to understand how to, you know, operate a commercial brewery as opposed to just a little five When gallon. were you doing this? Uh, this was 2010. So this was just before you opened or after you opened? No, this was before I opened. Yeah. Okay. You got to get that's ready. That's a huge lesson right there. And yeah. I say all the time, like just tell people like be like honesty, right? It comes back to that transparency. Just approach people. If you're, if you're, you're the average of those you surround yourself. It's probably a, a saying that's overused, but you go to the best in your community and you say, this is what I want to do. And you use that transparent, like will you teach me, like I'll work for free, whatever it takes, you know, win, win situation, but you, go get that experience, go surround yourself with people that are doing it and learn as much as you can. That's a, such a huge lesson right there. Yeah. That uh, had I not done that, I wouldn't have been able to build uh, much less put out, you know, what's the biggest lesson he taught you about business and operations in general. I think that it's uh, as in process is probably more important than recipe development. Even it's about uh, you know we're creating a product that is consumed. You know it's about making sure that it is the same every single time and sanitation, sanitation, sanitation. You know um, I take pride in the way our brewery looks. People have said, yeah, I used to tell you back in the day. You know. I, I, I want to have the cleanest brewery. That's our goal. And so that, that sanitation, the level of cleanliness was something that, you know, he and I both to this day, and I think it's innate with us personally too. You go to our homes and our kitchens, we just can't allow, you know, stuff to sit in the sink or the countertops to be dirty. We're wiping those down, cleaning them just so that it looks good. But that carries over into our brewing. You know, even my brew table, it was always super clean. The brew hose at the end of the day is coiled up. It's about the detail, that very small stuff, the detail stuff. That, that's Have you ever more... heard the, the broken... Sorry, I cut you short. 
Yeah, it, it, that's the most important stuff. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the, the broken window theory? Or I can't remember the exact terminology. I'm not sure. But it's the idea. It's basically like in uh, rough neighborhoods, right? In New York City specifically, I think it was in like the 80s or 90s. Um, there was this issue with crime and vandalism and all this stuff. And they, they ruled it down to like basically this neighborhood looked trashy more or less. And they realized that as soon as they cleaned up the neighborhood, all that stuff went away. So the, the uh, same thing with bathrooms. You go into a bathroom, you see something that's written on the wall. You're like, oh, that's allowed here. So then everybody starts writing on the wall. Right. You can, that, same, uh, that same mentality works in a clean space. Yes. You go into a space and everything has its place and everything's clean and sparkly. That's the standard. Yeah. That becomes the culture. Re- culture is reality. Culture is what you see in this moment. So it's so powerful. As soon as you start laying those standards slide and you, ah, we'll, we'll sweep it in the morning when we get back. Tired or like, yes, it, exactly. It's, it's oh, where it goes. We, could, we could wait and do it, that tank tomorrow. No, let's do it now. It starts drifting, right? So yep. it's getting away from that standard. Right. That's what Danny Myers calls setting the table. Put everything on the table has its place. Yes, right? and your job is to put it back in place. That's right. I love it. Yeah, and, and doing it every single time, and not yeah. taking the shortcut, That's and realizing that all right, hey. This is what we've got to do, and this is the recipe, and this is how we've done it. We're going to continue to do it just like that. So how did things start to change after you brought home the gold? Well, I mean, more people started ordering our beer. Um, I mean, I remember coming off the stage and getting orders for that beer specifically. Um, I think that uh, award probably brought us uh, or strengthened our reputation for brewing world-class beer. Like we had released Velvet Hammer. We, our, our most successful beer to date before that was an Imperial Red Ale, a big, strong beer. Um, and then everyone was loving that. And then we won that award. And then we released Wintervention, another it, – it's a holiday spiced beer with ginger, cinnamon, allspice, and nutmeg. But we did that in that first year in December, and people are going crazy for that. And so I think it was that first year where we really cemented this status or reputation for brewing – high quality beer not just you know your garden variety average stuff that this brewery was putting out stuff that by an objective standard at the gabf was world class beer yeah in 2010 dallas didn't really have something like no it didn't have people of dallas didn't have anything to hold your beer up against other than like your standard bud lights and you know your mass-produced domestics right um but now they 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 get get that stamp so now they know that they're drinking the best yes this is the best right it got us a little pride there oh absolutely 100 percent. you know it just got us attention that first to market thing is is real right you know when we entered this beer or entered this market i should say and then you win this award people are talking about you you know fast forward today when there's 80 brewers you open a brewery i mean how are you even getting your name out there. Um, so it definitely helped solidify our status as brewing quality beer, but it also brought attention to us at a time where there were not other breweries. So still that kind of stickiness of being the first to market at the time was huge. I love it. So anything else worth discussing big lessons that we haven't brought to the table, something that you were hoping to talk about. Um, I I still want to leave room to discuss uh, this, this hurdle that wasn't that you had to get over that that wasn't just on you, but on the brewing um, industry in Texas that you help overturn and get into that and talk about the importance of advocacy and, you know, going to fight for your industry. Right. Yeah. There's a million things I, I could touch upon, but we let, let's talk about that. That sounds like a good topic. So yeah, take, so it sounds like what was going on. Well, just, I'll just let you kind of give us an overview of what was going on. Well, there's a couple of different things at play. Um, it sounds like you were kind of being restricted, right? Because you could scale, but because of the, the laws at this time, you were inhibited with distribution. Was kind of a, like, uh, okay. You couldn't get your beer out. This is where I, I wasn't sure whether you were going 
you know, there's a couple of different directions we could go the legislative route or the judicial route, you know, um, because I was active, um, member of the Texas craft brewers guild legislative committee that works on passing laws to, um, you know, help Texas craft brewers. But there was a anti-craft beer law passed in 2013, um, which I filed. Yeah. Yeah. Which exists. It's a long story and I don't want eyes to, to glaze over, but you know, they took away a right in 2013 that we had previously, which, you know, allowed a distributor at that time to pay us money to have the right to distribute our beer. They made it illegal in 2013. And so I filed a suit against the state of Texas in the judicial um, system the following year and then fought that up until last year so you know there, there's a couple different things i had a big win last year i had a big loss last year whether you're talking judicial or legislative um, but you know we're always trying to advance craft brewer rights so why was and i'll try to see if i understand so basically it sounds like if you were brewing beer before uh 2019 uh this this past couple months right i think it was september gotcha. yeah, yeah like you had to um distribute it through a licensed distributor right well you couldn't get your beer to market more or less beyond your your county or whatever it was no that's not quite right i don't really um, quite understand yeah so feel it, free to- it, it's it's difficult i think the watershed moment for texas craft brewers that occurred on September 1st of 2019 was the ability for the first time in our history for a Texas craft brewer to sell beer to go from their brewery. In other words, prior to September 1st of last year, 2019, Texas was the only state in the United States where you could go to a brewery, but not buy their beer to take with you, which is what people want to do, right? When you go to a winery or distillery or brewery, especially if you're visiting from somewhere. Yeah. So you want to take a piece of that, you know, um, place that you visited home with you. So we were never allowed to do that. We gained that right. And that law went into effect um, on September 1st of 2019. So yes, now you're able to come in here and buy a growler of beer or a crowler of beer or a, uh, four pack of beer and take it with you. And, and so that, that was a huge, huge win is, you know, we had never had that right and had been asking for that right for nearly 20 years, um, in the legislature. And, you know, so yes, that was a huge, huge win and added a lot of value to, uh, the breweries of all Texas craft brewers. Yeah. So I guess the reason why I want to bring this subject to the table is just the, the importance of, the the we mentality. I'm sure you benefited from this, right? This this change oh, law for sure. It's going to help you, but it's also going to help thousands of other people, right? Oh, this is going to help every Texas craft brewer out exactly. there. Exactly. Yeah. And um, what's and I guess what the the angle I'm taking just in full transparency is the the significance of that we mentality of of what what happens when you go to bat for your industry. Like, how has that served you? Like that reputation you've garnered because of your willingness using your special skills in law, right? To lobby and like, what do we take from this? What, like, what's the lesson behind this? Well, I mean, I think the lesson is to, you know, do something that you can impact or make change happen, right? It might be a lengthy process. It might be a seven year process, but you can actually make change happen for the better. Why do we um, need to make change it, happen? It, it, Sorry. Well, I you sometimes you don't have to, um, but sometimes if you find something that seems inequitable in the market, um, and when you tell other people, it just doesn't seem quite right. I remember in law school, I don't mean to digress, but a professor one day calling someone out saying, what's the taint fair doctrine? And if you're called upon in law school and don't know the answer, you're about ready to panic. And there was no reference to that. I didn't know what he was talking about. The guy, the student, you know, kind of was 
you know, not able to provide an answer. Yeah, <laughs> floundering. Thank you. And then the the professor's like, it's the taint fair doctrine, man. It just it taint fair. It taint fair. <laughs> and that's kind of you know when something's just not fair, and you describe to other people the regulatory climate that you have, and people are like, that doesn't seem right, you know. And you can kind of t- take off the shackles. I think it's important to try to do that. Um, and the, you're right. The brewing industry has been, there's a huge sense of camaraderie amongst the industry in this kind of all uh, the tide rises, all ships, if I'm not butchering that cliche. But all really ships is, rise with uh, the tide. I think there you go. Yes. Verbatim. You know where I'm going. Um, <laughs> thank you for, you know, correcting me. Uh, but the point, I mean, we have a really a real common enemy, you know, big beer. It was always very easy for us to point to the Bud Miller Coors guys, uh, you know, as an enemy and all of us bind together as a bunch of small independent Texas craft brewers who are trying to get rights that are going to put us on equal footing as the big guys. So there was, you know, kind of a system in place that naturally brought us together. Now there can definitely be some differences of where you want to go from there, depending on how big you are and what, how you're structured. But you know, that kind of baseline made it very easy for brewers um, to come together and fight for a common good, which you still see to this day. I mean, I, I, I lend brewers hops. I'm, I'm, I'm helping brewers all the time. You know, there's definitely something in the market where we're certainly competitive, but we're always helping each other out. I could call any brewer here in town and say, Hey man, I'm out of X. If you have some, we lend it to me. And absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I love it, man. Again, that, that, that we mentality and going to bat for the industry, not just yourself. And the other thing I think is really important and you see it all the time in social media on Facebook or LinkedIn, these groups, right? Where people are these industry groups where people just bitch and moan about what's wrong. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, everyone's just out there just bitching and moaning. And I think there is something to be said about, about bringing it to the surface because you, you have to make noise, right? You got to be that squeaky wheel, but at the same time, you got to do something about it. Right. And I just want to applaud you and acknowledge you for being one of those people that do things and not just, you know, don't, don't just talk, but act. Appreciate you that. And yeah. We need to, and the other thing too, like, we need to come together. We need we need to stop looking at the other restaurants or breweries, whatever your situation is in your community as competitors, and start looking at them as your comrades. You know, and what's your challenge? What's this challenge? Like, how can we help each other out? Because there's so much more strength in numbers. And when you do that, those and like people will like the new players will look at those people who are talking and think like, that's a click. It's not a click. They're just you know talk to them, reach out right. to them. They'll, yeah. they'll 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 likely welcome you into that quote unquote click. Right? Do you yeah. want to reflect on that? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. If you see like people, right, you want to help people who are like you. Um, and I, I think you're absolutely right. I kind of lost my train of thought. You did have me thinking um, about something. Where'd you start that? Uh, just acknowledging uh, for taking action and not bitching, but doing. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing I tell my crew here, um, which is, you know, and I'm not the person who came up with this, but, you know, I've really found this to be true over the years that it's 1% inspiration. And then it's 99% perspiration. Anyone can have an idea. Having an idea is great. But unless you're willing to put in the work behind that idea. Execution. Yeah. Then, you know, what good was the idea at all? Funny because a lot of people, I think the reason why they don't collaborate or talk to people and share is because they're afraid they're going to give away their secrets or whatever. But the truth is it doesn't matter what you're doing. It's how you do it. Yeah. And you're going to execute. You're going to learn something through it. You know, we've had a joke here for years. Someone would come up and say, hey, I think we should do this or that. And the joke was always, well, sounds like someone's got a project you know don't tell me expecting me to do it you've got this great idea now make it happen right so it is it's about the action you know that is required to make the idea that you have work because that i remember someone telling me man it always it 
takes more time, it's more difficult, and costs more money than you ever think it's going to. And I found that to be true every single time, and especially the work action. It's like, okay, cool, great idea. We'll do something about it. you got to do something about it, and we try to. You open in 18 minutes. So any other thoughts, anything that you didn't get out that you would like to bring to the table of the conversation uh, before I I, I drop the last question on you, and then we move to the speed round? Just that we've been talking a little while and now I'm out of beer. I don't have I know, anything. We're going to refill my whistle. in two seconds. In two <laughs> no, seconds. I'm good to go. I'm having a really um, good time. The, the last question I'm going to ask you before we go to the speed round is uh, again, I, I, the mission statement is to inspire empower, and transform the industry. So how have you transformed? Who are you today? Who is the man you are today versus the man you are when you opened? Have you changed it all? Have oh man, all? I don't know. I think I'm the same person I always was. I actually think I get way too much credit. Um, more probably more credit than I deserve for, doing things within the industry it almost to the point where it makes me a little bit uncomfortable people want to attribute all sorts of things everything to me and i definitely think yes i've played a part in it and you know tried to be a cog and maybe in some instances you know started the process but you know it takes everybody and you know uh i'm 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 the same guy i always was it's part of that down-to-earth character i don't plan to change it's like i'm the same guy i was you know when i started the the silver lining lesson there and say humility is the lesson to to pull from there (laughs) we are going to take another quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be back to bust out a quick speed round cool I'm sure you felt it before, right? That pressure, that intense pressure to have your restaurant website on point. But you should have that pressure. You should feel this way because your restaurant website is so important. It is your first impression and it represents your entire brand. But here's the thing. You're not a web developer. You're a restaurant owner. So how can you be held to these standards? Well, with a bento box, that's how bento box empowers you to own your presence, profit and guest relations, all with full support, integration and analytics. And here's something that's really great about bento box is that it prioritizes website accessibility. So with bento box, you can get a certified accessible restaurant website that follows ADA guidelines and supports your business because this is how you show your people you care. Beyond that, Bento Box websites drive 70% more traffic. They see seven times more conversions and get five times return on investment. What else can I say? Well, how about over 5,000 restaurants in all 50 states and around the world are using this platform with its suite of tools? Head over to getbento.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you'll save 50% off your setup. Again, that's getbento, G-E-T-B-E-N-T-O dot com slash unstoppable. Who wants to pop off the new year with some badass resolutions? Well, here are a few suggestions. Lower your food costs by 5% on your kitchen inventory. Lower your pour costs by 10% on your bar purchasing. Or why not lower your labor costs by up to 30 hours a month? Heck, why not crush all three of these resolutions? Well, with a beverager and foodager, you can and the new year won't even see you coming. If you're thinking it does not get any better than this, you would be wrong because these tools work with your phone. They connect to your POS and they scale to multiple locations. And this is just scratching the surface. If you want to learn more, head over to Beverager or Foodager.com slash unstoppable. That's Beverager, B-E-V-A-G-E-R.com or Foodager, F-O-O-D-A-G-E-R.com slash unstoppable. If you use those links, you can save up to $200 on your POS integration. What are you waiting for? 
We are back. We got a full uh, glass of beer. And what, so what, what, this is the Red Velvet. I poured you Velvet Hammer Sorry, is what uh, that is. Velvet it's an Hammer. Imperial Red Ale. Yeah, that's the first beer we ever brewed. That's the one that kind of made this brewery. Definitely, it's still 40% of our sales. Velvet Hammer. Enjoy here. Cheers, cheers. one more time. Yeah, absolutely. You can never cheers too many times. There, I had to do that. I felt like you couldn't hear our cheers, so there's Thank you. clinking like, the glasses Did you give me together. the wrong one? Oh, beautiful. That's delicious, man. No wonder why you guys got the gold. I love it. All right. First question. What is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Unconventionality. What is your biggest weakness? My knees. <laughs> I'll take it. What is one question you look for or thing uh, you're, you're trying to find in the people you're hiring when you're interviewing? What do you, what's a question you ask or a thing you look for? Understanding of who we are, what we're wanting to do, and an internal drive. Yeah, and it didn't come out in today's conversation, but I know that you don't hire... Like, when you hire people, the first 14 employees you had or something like that had no prior experience. Yeah, that's right. I think we have one employee that ever worked in another brewery. Why does it not matter where you come from, what your experience is? I want to find good people. I want to find people who understand what it is that we're trying to do, understand us, who actually kind of exhibit the values that we've talked Maybe about people who are friendly honest it, and down to earth you got it absolutely <laughs> right i love it uh what is uh one of your biggest challenges today competition how are you dealing with that superior product innovation superior service superior people And well, yeah, for years, for the first five years, I told people or or I told our crew, it's all about the beer, all about the beer, beer is everything. Year five, I realized it's all about the people. Our people are awesome. So that's hugely important for what it is that we do. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. Have fun. I love it. Uh, What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So maybe this is in the tasting room. What's one way to go above and beyond just maybe pouring a beer? Treat. Everybody like family. I love it. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant or brewery operator? Ah, the book question is always rough for me because I've taken so many books and little tidbits from every different book that I've read. So I never feel comfortable saying you need to read this one, but there is one and I'm forgetting the title, but it's all about culture. Culture's everything. It's got a Call magnet the on the front code? of it. Yeah, that might be it. Okay. That might um, be there's it. There's a ton of culture books. Okay. Yeah. It, may, it might be a Simon Sinek book. Is Simon Sinek on culture. Last? Start with why? Uh, no, it's not. I was thinking of the start with why, but there's another book. <laughs> See, this is why it's a bad question. It's not a very good speed question for me. Head, the Bible. The Bible. If, if it comes into your head, you can let All me right. know before we, uh, we uh, say goodbye. Or you can always email me. You get a month to get it out. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Uh, name one service or sorry I skipped the question what is one thing you feel restaurateurs or breweries don't do well enough or often enough Uh, take time away from work it's Uh, critical what is one service you've outsourced or hired this is maybe a person or an expert to come in maybe a consultant uh, we kind of do just the opposite. Our DNA is to figure it out ourselves and not outsource. I mean, we've outsourced a few things. Our payroll is now outsourced. Um, our means of uh, customer contact is now outsourced to, you know, we use method on that. But other than that, we try to do it ourselves, even design. Uh, I feel like our own crew, we're more in line or aligned with what it is 
we want to represent in terms of visually and feeling wise? The, the purpose of this question is basically just to help good people connect with good people. Um, but I hear what you're saying in the sense that I, I don't think we tap into the people we're already paying enough because we hire them to do a job and we never look beyond the job. Like, what else are you good at? Like, what else can you bring to the table? Yeah, like, man, you're operating a small business. <laughs> you better wear a bunch of hats. you 20 people working for you now, right? Like, yeah. I'm sure that you're limiting yourself. Even if, like, what else do you do? Like, yeah, let's do tap into our resources. When people say, hey, man, like, how'd you come up with yeah. that? It's like, no, we did that. We have a creative team and we go back and forth with it. Yeah, I love it. So uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted within your business that has had a huge impact on operations? Uh, method is probably the only real piece of technology really changed how we um, manage our customer list. What is it called? Method. Method. And what is it? Is it like a CRM? Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, this is the first time I mentioned on the show, by the way. So thank you for that. I love sure. when I get new products on the show. Um, this is the last question. And it's a doozy. So get ready uh-oh, for it. Uh-oh. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. Uh-oh. And all the memories of you, your work in your restaurant or your breweries would be lost with your uh, departure. Uh, what are three pieces of wisdom that you would leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy? Three things that you know to be true that you would want to leave behind. What would those things be? I mean, you, it's been teed up. Honest, friendly, down to earth. <laughs> I was going to say. Right? That's the values. I That's it. I want to be remembered there. for that. Be, he, <laughs> man, the guy was honest. He was friendly and he was down to earth. That's what I strive to be. That's what I want to be. That's what I hope people will remember me as. Michael, you've been a great guest. I wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. This is how I found you. So who is one person you respect and admire, uh, whether it's in the restaurant industry or the food and beverage industry? I know you're not. You're kind of on the, the not necessarily... We just beverage for sure, but you're not the restaurant. Oh, yeah, I know a bunch of those guys. Um, <laughs> I guess the first person who popped into my mind is Sammy Mandel over at Gapco, Greenville Avenue Pizza Kitchen. He's got a really interesting story. I think he labored for about 10 years Damn. before he got any traction, and now he's just doing amazing things. It's, it's, it's quite a story. And you talk about, you know, nose to the grindstone. This guy. You know, he's lived it. Sammy, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And uh, let the folks at home know, how can we connect with you? If we want to maybe, we're in the Dallas area. We're, we're passionate about food. Maybe we want to come join your team or maybe. Peticolas, P-E-T-I-C-O-L-A-S, Peticolas, Google it. I mean, kids, these days, everyone, what, what else do you need? Just Google Peticolas. <laughs> I mean, Twitter, at Peticolas, Instagram, Peticolas Brewing, you know, Facebook. Just you hit Peticolas <laughs> and you're going to find us. It'll, you know, you can contact us through the webpage. But you Google Peticolas and that's the beauty of coming up with it or having a unique name like this, right? It's not, you're not going to pull up anything else. You're going to pull up our brewery. So just Peticolas and you're going to find what you need. I'll be sure to, to link to all the uh, social handles as well as any tool book or service recommended on the show. Did you get that book in your head yet? Did it, did it no, no, I can't okay. think of it. <laughs> um, just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 684. A summary of today's discussion will be there again with all the tools, links, and everything re- recommended how to connect. Uh, again, Michael, thank you so much. One more time with the cheers. Absolutely. Stick- cheers. There- Glasses are clinking. <laughs> clink. And drink. there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you, man. Really enjoyed it. You have a great day. You too. Cheers. All right. Awesome, man. What a great conversation. Thanks again to Michael Petticolis and so many things that we can pull from this conversation today. I think the big one, uh, be better, not bigger. Choose to go in, not out. Focus on the people that are right in front of you, not on new people, right? In in harness those relationships that, that we already have. Uh, and when you do that, when you surround yourself with the right people and you just you know, choose to be 
better, not bigger. Amazing things happened. I think we got really into uh, values today, the significance of values uh, in writing those values down. And those values will be your North Star. They will be the tracks to your train. They will keep you going in the right direction when you have to make hard decisions, but you have to write them down because you won't remember them. There's so much power in writing things down. We talked about the importance of a a business plan. I don't think we need to explain that. Um, And then Lastly, the thing that I want to uh, make an example of Michael with is this idea of just coming together for the common good, looking at your comrades, not as competitors, but as comrades, exactly that, you know, people that are going through the same battle as you and in joining forces and in being friends with your neighbors uh, and you don't have to go it alone. You know, you, you can get support from your community, from other business operators. So uh, reaching out and uh, being the leader in that community. Why not? Right. So, so great things that came today. And in that, that I think that's a great segue, that, that mentality of uh, stronger together, uh, taking that we mentality. Uh, I need to let you guys know. And I've let you know before, but I need to reemphasize this, that I am uh, now bringing all of you, my listeners together uh, in the Facebook group. So if you want to be a part of a Facebook group, it's uh, Unstoppable Restaurant Owners and Operators, people who are listening to the show. uh, Just over the past two days, I went and I invited all of my past guests to this community. So it's a place to come together to share knowledge, to share inspiration and to reflect on these episodes. Uh, So if that sounds like something you're interested in, I encourage you to join the group, get over there and uh, be a part of that. The link will be in the show notes. So if you are interested in joining that group, just head over to the show notes. This is episode 600 and I think 84. And if you're listening to this on iTunes, like most of you are on your phone, you can access the show notes straight from your phone. You don't even need to like jump away from the show notes or from the uh, podcast playing app. Just scroll down until you see the notes. And at the top, um, I have calls to action right there. And I have a link to that Facebook page. It's a private group. So you have to get, uh, you know, you have to be a restaurant owner or operator or working in the restaurant industry to be a part of this group. Uh, And so come join that group. And then also, uh, what other calls to action do I have? YouTube channel. So uh, we're not completely caught up with live content going live, but we are slowly releasing 10 videos a month, trying to get caught up, maybe even more, maybe up to 15 episodes a month until we get caught up with real time. So if you want to come in the restaurants with me, be a part of this, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Heck, even if you don't want to watch the YouTube please subscribe because you're helping me out. <laughs> I'll be honest. Just get over there and, sub- and subscribe. And I have to remind you guys too. The last thing, this is something I need to be better about. If you hear of a product or service on the show and you want to leverage that product or service in your restaurant, you can really support restaurant unstoppable by letting me know that you're going to go and pull the trigger that you're interested in this product. I'll make the introduction and then I can get credit and uh, earn an affiliate commission at no extra expense to you. As a matter of fact, you'll probably save money. So reach out to Lee, reach out to me. Let me help you. And uh, you can help this, this mission to inspire, empower and transform the industry. I need help guys. And uh, this is one way I can get it. So I think that's it for today. Uh, I appreciate I appreciate you all for sticking around this long and I couldn't do it without you. So uh, until next time, peace out.